Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. James Comey drops the hammer on Donald Trump even before he starts his testimony. Hey, what do you say? Hello, everybody. Wow. Never seen anything like this in Washington, D.C. for a long time or anywhere in this nation. The former FBI director releasing his prepared testimony 24 hours ahead of time catching the White House by surprise and undercutting any attempt on their part to try to uh, steal the spotlight from James Comey or to rebut anything he has to say. Uh, It was the White House is trying to call it a nothing burger. Uh, No, it is a nuclear burger. And we're going to tell you all about it, what Comey says will say today in these seven pages of testimony that he released yesterday. It's a Thursday, Thursday, June 8th, the day we've been waiting for. Good to have you with us. I hope you've made plans to gather around the TV or the radio uh, or and maybe at your local bar uh, to watch the testimony today. Uh, it is uh, happening in, the, in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee Following a real nothing burger yesterday from Dan Coates, director of national intelligence, and Mike Rogers, the director of the NSA, who decided to take the cowardly way out and refuse to answer questions. Uh, That's not what James Comey, of course, is going to do today. We're coming to you live on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Don't forget, check out our podcast. Podcast, you can watch the entire two hours or any part of the two hours anytime during the day. Just go to BillPressShow.com. Or go to iTunes and uh, find our podcast and join us there. Um, and we look forward to hearing from you again about what you think about the news of the day. This is a time when we all got to react uh, and speak up. You can do so by going on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show, and send us your comments. Thank you for joining us, or whether you're watching or listening, good to have you with us today. And we'll get right to what we will hear from James Comey today. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, do you use Snapchat? Uh, No. I'm not a Snapchat guy either. Well, it turns out a lot of people are dropping off of the Snapchat train. Their growth has slowed sharply during the past two months. Now, Facebook and Instagram uh, have both sort of played catch up with Snapchat Uh and have, frankly, stolen some of their... Some yeah. of their ideas, but they are doing them in a way that people recognize. And so 
Snapchat is seeing their downloads down 22% year over year through the first two months of this year's second quarter. I gave up a couple couple months ago. I was using it semi-regularly, uh-huh. but uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's well, so kind of pointless. There's so many different options available today, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Instagram adopted their own basic version of Snapchat. So if you already use Instagram, you're in the app. Why not just use Instagram Stories versus Snapchat? Yeah, I, I, I never really got on the Snapchat train, I hate to say. I know I probably should have, but it looks like pe- they're getting lapped a little bit by other yeah. people. So, All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, Michelle Obama, but we talked about some of the things that came <laughs> yeah. out of the uh, the Apple uh, Worldwide Developers Conference earlier this week. She was there. She made an appearance there. And she was speaking about some of the things that she had to endure as First Lady. And she points specifically to the way that she was critiqued, photographed, and uh, all about her, her outfits, right? Mm-hmm. Every outfit that she wore, people would say, oh, this is where she got this. And what about this? And this is how she looked. And she spent this much money on this outfit, blah, 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 right on down the line. Well, she pointed right. out that nobody pointed out that for the entire eight years of the Barack Obama presidency, he wore the same tux and the same <laughs> shoes. He never got a new tux, never changed it, never got a new pair of shoes, never changed those. She says he wore the same tux, and in fact, he's proud of it. He says there's no need in getting another tux, he just wore the same one. And nobody's made one word about that. Uh, by the way, she's absolutely right. Uh, I've said for a long time, I mean, it's a man's world when it comes to formal wear. Yeah. It's easy. Amen. I've worn the same tux for 15 years. Yeah, right. Every time. Before I get another one. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Thursday, June 8th, the big day, the day we've been waiting for, here it is. James Comey Day, officially declared James Comey Day in Washington, D.C. It is uh, going to be quite a show starting at 10 o'clock Eastern, uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee, with former FBI Director James Comey, now a free man, scheduled to testify about alleged attempts by Donald Trump to shut down the FBI investigation. Uh, And friends and neighbors, there is no question that's exactly what Donald Trump did. Hey, what do you say? Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. You wouldn't want to be anyplace else but right here because we'll tell you what to expect at 10 o'clock today and give you a chance to tell us what you think about it. want to hear from you on Twitter, at BP Show. As we come to you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show from our studio here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., just about six blocks from where all this action is going to take place uh, today. We'll probably be able to hear the roar of the crowd right here in our studio uh, as people, you know, they're lining up already to get into that hearing room. We're looking at you on Free Speech TV as well. Looking good this morning all over Chicago and the Chicago uh, area on WCPT. Uh, And don't forget, we always invite you for something very special over and above the show every day. Go to Patreon, patreon.com. Help us out. Sign up just five bucks a month and be part of our Patreon team. By the way, for those of you who want something every single day, we are now putting something up every single day on Patreon. Uh, You could go get the video version of your parting shot. We're putting up there exclusively on Patreon. And all we're asking... 
Five bucks a month. Yep. Five bucks a month. And, and that, you get that and a lot of other cool stuff. And pretty soon that whole documentary, which we're uh, still doing some interview, taping some interviews about and editing on uh, the making of Bernie Sanders. I have to say, I've been working on some editing for that and going through some old Bernie clips and some stuff from the primary. And it's just, it's going to be very, very good when we're finished with it. I'm very happy with the stuff that we yeah. got from Tad Devine and Michael Briggs, who's worked with good. Bernie for a long good. time. There's there's some good stuff. Fun stuff. So, the Warriors cleaning up last night. Holy yes, cow. indeed. Game three against the Cavs. I don't know. It's going to be awfully hard to stop them tonight. The Warriors won 118 to 113. Uh, that was the score in the Warriors game. The score today, the game hasn't even started. The score is already James Comey won, Donald Trump zero. Ah, uh, yeah. Comey wins this one hands down in one of the most, you know, the White House had planned. Uh, all, very, very busy today today to keep Donald Trump away from Twitter. Uh, and they had him, they have him scheduled to speak to Ralph Reed's group here in Washington, the Faith and Freedom or something BS caucus, uh, and uh, and try to show a lot of activity to kind of get the attention away from James Comey. Yesterday, they sent the president out to Cincinnati. They announced a new FBI director uh, to try to change the subject, get the attention away from Comey. They went out to Cincinnati. Uh, at the last minute, they scheduled some, again, little BS photo op with some alleged victims of Obamacare. Uh, and then he gave a speech on infrastructure, which, you know, didn't get any coverage at all because James Comey rained on their parade big time. Never, none of us, nobody here in Washington has ever seen anything like this before, that a witness scheduled to testify in front of uh, any Senate committee, this happens to be the Senate Intelligence Committee, released his prepared opening statement ahead of time, the day ahead of time, 24 hours ahead of time. And once that hit yesterday, it was, it was again, a nuclear burger. Nobody has talked about anything else than the James Comey statement, which he will deliver again, 10 o'clock Eastern time today in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And it is a blockbuster. Methodically, he goes through it and details step by step by step, every single thing that Donald Trump did to interfere with, to derail, or to try to stop the FBI investigation into alleged collusion between his, Donald Trump's team, and the Russian government. It is jaw-dropping. It is stunning. And it is so methodically laid out by James Comey. Uh, just a slight tangent here. I hope at least once once Donald Trump will stop and ask himself, who was the genius who encouraged me to fire James Comey? Who was the genius who told me this was a good idea? Right? Think about it. It's been nothing but a month of negative publicity resulting. It's resulted in the appointment of a special prosecutor, Robert Mueller, to conduct a criminal investigation now into the Trump administration. And it's resulted in James Comey, free as a bird, 
testifying openly, publicly, unlike those cowards yesterday, openly, publicly in front of the of the Senate committee. Uh, this way, thing, talk about something that backfired big time. Dumbest mistake since Richard Nixon fired Archibald Cox with <laughs> maybe the same results. Tomorrow will be the one-month anniversary of when Trump fired uh, Comey. Uh-huh. It's been less than a month since he fired James yeah. Comey. And Can you believe that? Yeah, think The lives it. that we have lived in that less than a month? Right. Yeah. And today's the day he's going to go and drop this bo- these bombshells? Right. That's how quickly this is moving. Yeah. That's remarkable. So I want to go through the testimony with you. Seven pages, all right? And, he, and, and again, he lays it out. So James Comey points out. These are the times that uh, most of the times that he met with Donald Trump. The first time was on January 6th, January 6th, at Trump, uh, Trump Tower, which was a little awkward because James Comey was sent up there by the intelligence community. Uh, remember, this is when word came out that the Russians might have tapes of Donald Trump as a businessman in Moscow. Uh, let's face it, hanging out with hookers. And maybe doing some little games with hookers that um, uh, a little unusual, shall we say? Um, water sports. Did we ever say? Yeah, water sports. Just sure. say water sports. Right. Uh, and we don't mean in the swimming pool. No. Uh, so, uh, and somebody had to tell Trump. You know, there's a word. We're not sure. We haven't seen it, but there's word that they might have this, and it could prove to be embarrassing. We just want you to know, Mr. President Elect. Okay. So that was that was, that was their first meeting. He left that meeting. This is very important. He left that meeting and he said he was so uncomfortable with that meeting that when he got to his car, left Trump Tower and got in his car, sitting in his car, still sitting in his car in front of Trump Tower, he pulled out his laptop and started making notes of everything the president-elect had said to him at that time. Because even then... This didn't get to the FBI investigation yet, but even then, he's feeling that the president expects a certain relationship between the FBI director and the president, which Comey was not comfortable with. So he moved forward to January 7th, uh, 27, sorry. Donald Trump calls Comey, invites him to dinner, and says, originally, I was going to invite your entire family but I think it's better just you and me if we have dinner, okay? In the green room, uh, which is that first uh, ceremonial level of the White House, if you will, it's right next to the very first room from the east room. This green room, then the red room, then the blue room. Um, I mean, sort of blue room and then the red room and then the state dining room. So the green room, just the two of them. And that's where Donald Trump says, uh, so would you like to stay in this job? Uh, which Comey was sort of surprised because he kind of assumed, you know, that he was appointed for 10 years, that he would be staying there. Uh, and then Donald Trump says, well, um, here's what I want. Uh, loyalty. Loyalty. I need loyalty. I expect loyalty. Which, again, so it's sort of like this is what you got to pledge if you want your job. Comey's very uncomfortable with that. He doesn't respond. They just stare at each other for a while. And then Comey, coming in, spells this all out. Because, remember, he took notes after he did this. He took notes then after every time he met with Donald Trump. 
Uh, and Comey says, well, Mr. President, you definitely uh, will get uh, uh, my honesty. Uh, that's, that's what I can promise you. Uh, and then uh, Trump says, well, um, that's what I want. Honest loyalty. God. I w- yeah. See how he t- twists those words. Yeah. Trump says, I, again, I need loyalty. Comey says, quote, you will always get honesty from me. And then Trump says, I want honest loyalty. Uh, so he walks away. He's not really sure he's going to stay in his job or or not. Um, but And by the way, at this point, he's thinking, you know, maybe I better tell some other people about this. He still doesn't until February 14. James Comey in the Oval Office. Trump has been president for barely a month at this point. Right. So there are like six of them. They're sitting in front of the desk, Trump's behind the desk, and they're giving him his intelligence uh, briefing. When uh, it's over, Trump says, uh, I'd, like you to, uh, I'd like you to stay. Uh, so Jeff Sessions and um, Jared Kushner is also in the room. Jeff Sessions and Jared Kushner stay. And then Jeff, uh, the president says to Jeff Sessions, no, I want you to leave because I, I want to talk to Michael Flynn alone. And Kushner is still there. And then Trump says, no, I want you to leave. I want to talk to Comey alone. And that's when Comey says, this is the day after he fired Michael Flynn. And Trump says, I want to talk about Michael Flynn. And then he says about Michael Flynn, he is a good guy. This is the day after he fired him. He's a good guy and has been through a lot. He added, I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. He is a good guy. I hope you can let this go. Uh, And um, all Comey said was, you know, we have an investigation. The investigation's underway. We'll get it done as fast as we can. But he certainly didn't promise to end that investigation. But at that point, Comey went back to the Justice Department and he called a couple of his top people and, and said, the president just asked me to shut down the FBI investigation, which we're not going to do. But he said, I think it's important that you know this and we're not going to tell anybody else, but you know this because that's the kind of pressure that I am getting. Um, and then on the 11th, no, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. On March the 30th, Donald Trump calls James Comey at the, at the uh, FBI and wants to know, he says, this Russian thing is a cloud. How can we get rid, again, how can we get rid of this Russian thing? I need you to get rid of this Russian thing. And he said, I need you to go out there publicly and say that I am not a subject of this investigation, which, again, here it is, pressure to shut down the investigation and to clear Trump's name, which Comey again refused to do because he, Comey knew that while Trump may not be himself a subject of the investigation right now, they started looking at Michael Flynn, You know who knows where this investigation would go, and he knew that Trump could end up himself being a subject of the investigation. This is the line from the Comey testimony that I think is really, really explosive. And we shouldn't overlook this. 
The this is from his directly from his testimony. The FBI and the Department of Justice had been reluctant to make public statements that we did not have an open case on President Trump for a number of reasons. Right. Most importantly, <laughs> because it would create a duty to correct should, should that, that change. change. In other words, you're not under investigation now, but you might be soon, and then I will have to go back out and say that you are. Right. Because we're yeah. headed that direction. Very, very important because that undercuts one of the main contentions of Donald Trump that he and others may be in trouble, Roger Stone, Paul Manafort, but he himself is not in trouble. Uh, that is not true. And Comey did not tell him that. All he all he said was, yeah, at this point, he concurred, you're not. But he wouldn't say he wouldn't say it publicly as you pointed out, Peter, because yeah. he knew it could well change. You're in the middle of an investigation. You don't know what you're going to discover. You don't know what, 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 where it's going to go. The other point about the March 30 phone call that Comey will testify about, and it is in his written statement, is that the president says, so what were you doing testifying? Why were you testifying in front of the Senate last week, Senate Judiciary Committee? Why did you do that? And why did you tell them that there was an FBI investigation underway? Uh, Comey did point out, you know, uh, there, there is another branch of government. And when the leaders of the Senate invite you to testify, they could subpoena you to testify. It's kind of hard to turn them down. Right. Uh, but but Trump was pissed that Comey had testified. We've heard that before. And then it all adds up to it keeps going to April 11. Another phone call from the president of the United States to James Comey at the FBI saying, how's it going? Why is this investigation still going on? Why haven't you ended it? When are you going to end it? Get rid of this cloud. Again, pressure to do it. When you add it up, James Comey points out that, one, he was so uncomfortable again from the very beginning that he felt compelled every time he saw Donald Trump, the first thing he did was write up complete notes, everything about that conversation. That tells you a lot about what he was, the pressure he was getting from Donald Trump. Um, second, Comey points out that in um, when President Obama was in office and he was uh, FBI and he had been appointed FBI director, twice in four years he spoke to President Obama once when he said goodbye to Obama, after, like at the end of Obama's term, when they had, he had members of the administration in just to shake his hand, and one other time like at some reception, twice in four years, Donald Trump, he either met with Donald Trump or talked to him on the phone every time at Donald, except for the first time, at Donald Trump's inv invitation or uh, initiated the contact. Nine times in four months. God. So, I mean, Comey really felt this was just uh, totally reversed the kind of independence expected from an FBI director and what has always been the practice of presidents leaving FBI directors and respecting their independence. And Comey finally felt so uncomfortable with this that he says in his testimony, as we learned a couple of days ago, that he went to Attorney General Jeff Sessions and said, I never want to be alone with the President of the United States again because I don't think it's right what he's doing. 
way he's treating me, what he expects from me, the pressure that I'm getting from him. Unfreaking believable. That's what we're going to hear today. And remember, this is on top of the um, the fact uh, that Trump also, before he fired Comey, asked Dan Coats, the director of national intelligence, and Mike Pompeo, the director of the CIA, for that he asked them to call Comey and beg with Comey to drop the investigation. Uh, yesterday, sadly, I think, in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, Dan Coates was there, Mike Pompeo was not, Mike Rogers was there also, who's director of the NSA. Um, they both refused answer the, to talk about what Donald Trump, it's very, they refused to answer the question. They refused to talk about or even confirm whether Donald Trump had, had made that request. But it was interesting, also, they didn't deny he had made that request. I think they ended up looking like fools. Here's a, a Democratic chair, uh, co-chair of the committee, um, Mark Warner, uh, trying to get an answer out of them. Did the president, the reports that are out there, ask you in any way, shape, or form to back off or downplay the Russian investigation? I'm not going to discuss the specifics of conversations with the president of the United States, but I stand by the comment I just made to you, sir. Senator Angus King from Maine presses even harder. Why are you not answering these questions? Is there an invocation by the president of the United States of executive privilege? Is there or not? Not that I'm aware of. Then why are you not answering because our questions? I feel questions? it is inappropriate, Senator. I, what you feel isn't relevant, Admiral. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Boom. No. Boom. Good for Angus. Yeah. No. No. Uh, again, they didn't do themselves any favors. They didn't do Donald Trump any favors. In other words, basically, they said by their silence... Yes, he asked us to do this. We're just not going to say it publicly. After the hearing, again, uh, Mark Warner says they missed an opportunity. They could have laid all this to rest. They chose not to. In my mind, that says we've still got more fact-finding to go and a lot more investigating to do. And let's remember uh, now, so what we, what we hear from Donald Trump, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, from James Comey again, is that, yes, indeed, uh, the president of the United States did, in fact, pressure him to end the investigation. Um, yes, indeed, um, the president tried to make him pledge his loyalty, loyalty to him, not loyalty to the law. Uh, no, the president did not tell the truth when he said that Comey assured him three times he was not subject of the investigation. Comey just uh, pointed out, not at this point, are you subject of the investigation? Uh, and that certainly puts to lie what Donald Trump said back on May 18 uh, at the last news conference, I believe, he held in the East Room when he was asked directly that question. Did you at any time urge former FBI Director James Comey in any way, shape, or form to close or to back down the investigation into Michael Flynn? And also, as you look no. back. No. Next question. Next question. That sounds like BS. It sounds like a big lie to me. Liar. As you look no. Back. no. 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 Next question. Next question. According to James Comey's testimony today, yes, he did pressure the FBI director to drop the investigation on multiple occasions in the Oval Office, 
uh, on the phone, uh, other occasions, and James Comey um, told, informed other people at the FBI that he did and made notes to that effect. Uh, and it, so the, the White House is just exposed as living a, a great big lie. You know, you had said earlier this week that the it looked like James Comey was going to start stop short of saying this was obstruction of justice. And yeah, it looks like he's not going to say the words this was obstruction of justice. But you look at this testimony, your yeah. only takeaway here is Donald Trump tried to obstruct justice. In fact, that is absolutely. And that is I think what's significant about the uh, about this Comey testimony today. Um, the entire focus of the investigation, whether you're talking about the FBI, uh, the Mueller investigation, the Senate Intelligence Committee, or the House Intelligence Committee, changes as of today. The focus is no longer, was there collusion between Trump people and the Russian government? The focus today is, did is Donald Trump guilty of obstruction of justice? Comey may not Again, he will not say those words today. He'll be asked. He'll say, that's up to you to decide. And it is up to members of the Senate to decide. But but just look at Comey. Just read Comey's testimony. It's only seven pages. It's online. Read it. Or listen to Comey today. You cannot come to any other conclusion. Comey's testimony establishes the fact that Donald Trump attempted to obstruct justice. He is guilty of obstruction justice, obstruction of justice. Period. End of story. So I believe what the Senate ought to do today and what the House ought to do today is shut down the Intelligence Committees. No more hearings of the Intelligence Committee. Start the impeachment hearings right away because obstruction of justice is an impeachable offense. And we've got the facts. We've got the evidence. We've got a credible witness who will stand up there and tell the American people that's exactly what happened. That's that's what we're going to see today. This this takes this investigation to a whole new level, the beginning of the end of the Trump administration. And here's what you want to watch today. Watch the cowardly Republicans. Is there any one of them with the balls to stand forward and say he may be my Republican, a fellow Republican? He may be my president. But just like there were brave Republicans who were willing to stand up and say Richard Nixon obstructed justice and has to go. Who's going to be the first Republican with the balls to stand up and say, I can no longer support Donald Trump after I hear this testimony? Tell you one thing, it won't be Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham said, oh, this is a good day for Donald Trump. Uh, He'll regret that. Try again. Try again, Lindsey. Yeah, right. So uh, that's that's what we can expect today, folks. It is a big day, and we know what's coming with... uh, um, with uh, James Comey today. We'll talk more about that throughout the program. In the next half hour, we're going to focus on a sort of a related story, but all the latest on Russian hacking. Uh, did it include this hacking and starting this whole foreign policy crisis in the Middle East with Qatar and Saudi Arabia? Corey Bennett joins us from Politico. I, what you feel isn't relevant, Admiral. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show.
Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. What do you say on a uh, Thursday, June 8, it is the Bill Press Show. Here in Washington, D.C., that's where we are, but we uh, join you wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours on YouTube, on Free Speech TV, uh, on Chicago, on WCPT. We're in a studio on Capitol Hill, brought to you today by a brand new sponsor. Very proud to welcome uh, to the team of sponsors of the Bill Press Show, the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the UFCW. Great men and, men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone. Uh, they're the ones that, you know, when you uh, go to any grocery store just about in this land, they're the ones who serve you, stock the shelves, check you out at the store, and keep that produce looking fresh and beautiful and uh, bringing you the very, very best product available. Check out their website at ufcw.org. We thank them for the support of the program and welcome them. By the way, just a little footnote to what we were talking about in the first half hour, uh, that uh, the troubles for uh, Donald Trump today uh, are not um, you know, limited to James Comey's testimony. A couple of latest polls out are not very good news for the White House. The, the Quinnipiac poll shows that Donald Trump's approval rating, Peter, has now slipped down to 34%. Each time they report, it's a historic new low for any modern president. 34% approve of the job Donald Trump is doing. 57% uh, disapprove. Yeah. Good grief. All right. Uh, well, also, I don't think today is going to help that. Uh, no. <laughs> well, so. here, here's something else that is not going to be helped. The uh, the second day uh, re- re- returns from the Washington Post ABC News poll. Uh, take a look at the Russian investigation. Fifty six percent of Americans say that Donald Trump is interfering with the Russian election. Uh, Russian investigation. This is before today's testimony. Wow. Uh, and 61% of Americans believe that Donald Trump fired James Comey to protect himself and for as part of a cover-up. So uh, Those aren't good numbers. Those are good. Again, those numbers uh, could change for the worse for Donald Trump uh, after today's testimony, we believe. But enough of that. Well, for now. But anyway, you know, it's all related to... Uh, we we started this because the Russians accused of uh, suspected well not suspected accused of hacking our election by seventeen intelligence agencies and now that has sort of spun into all kinds of different directions. Corey Bennett keeps track of this stuff for Politico, deputy cybersecurity editor, joining us in studio. Hi, Corey. How hey, you Bill. doing? Good. Uh, the latest manifestation of this is what's happening in Qatar where we see Saudi Arabia and three other Arab countries, I think maybe a fourth one too, have cut off all relations with Qatar, flights from Qatar, I mean, all economic stuff, flights, right. every every contact at all, right? Because that there was, because of reports that Qatar was financing terrorist groups, right? Now, there's a further report that maybe this whole story got started through by Russian hackers. It was fake news. What's going on? That's right. I mean, uh, Qatar several weeks ago reported that their state news agency had been hacked. uh, (laughs) But what's come out recently, just in the last couple of days, is that U.S. officials have been investigating this and now believe that Russian hackers were the ones that planted this information. Uh, They planted this story, essentially. Uh, Now, again, you know, 
if, if people have been tracking uh, what Russia has been doing for the last decade in cyberspace, this is kind of par for the course. But we've had this confluence of events, and we're realizing one after another uh, how intense their efforts are around the world. And if you're to believe uh, reports that are out there, the intent in Qatar was not necessarily to meddle in the affairs of that country, but to drive a wedge between U.S. allies in that region, which only serves to support their interests, obviously, uh, given what's going on in Syria. Well, it seems that if that was was their intent, they succeeded. Right? A- absolutely. I think you have to say that. Right. Um, isn't it a little um, hypocritical on the part of Saudi Arabia to criticize another nation for supporting terrorists <laughs> when we know that, for example, al-Qaeda – Right. Certainly got a lot of Saudi money. Right. I mean, I, I'm certainly not a terrorism expert. But yes, once you wade into that territory, <laughs> I think there is a bit of a throwing a stone in a glass house uh, situation that might be occurring. <laughs> right. So has anyone um, except of the Saudis or these other countries accepted the fact, oh, we were had, we were conned into believing this stuff? That's a good question. I mean, my, my understanding is that uh, this was a convenient straw that broke the camel's back, right? It's about more than just this one published fake report. Uh, but that certainly gives a very easy political cudgel to wield, uh, to point to. You know, it's a very kind of clear-cut example yeah, of, right. hey, I can point to this, as opposed to the more, you know, soft uh, power issues that are going on that have been really driving this wedge for a while, is my understanding. So so there was some tension anyway. That's correct, yeah. Well, now. Uh, I, I do have to ask you one little question. Mm-hmm. You said the official, the Saudi or the Qatar news agency, is that Al Jazeera? It, it is not. No, this is, oh. a, this is a state-backed news agency separate from Al Jazeera. But Al Jazeera is, also, is based in Doha and is owned by the Qatar government. They do receive money from it, yes, but they have more of a reputation of independence of nonpartisan news. Now, obviously, that's uh, complicated based on... <laughs> Their outlets in different parts of the world appear to have different relations, both financially and editorially, uh, to state-backed interests. Um, mm-hmm. For example, the the outlet they had in the U.S. had a little more of reputation for uh, editorial independence, is my understanding. Right. Now, fake news or not, Donald Trump jumped into this, right, <laughs> uh, into the middle of this spat, uh, taking the side of Saudi Arabia. I mean, Trump- based on apparently. Fake news, <laughs> which is somewhat ironic. Right, the, we the irony uh, should escape no one. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, I, the, I was just remembering the lead editorial in the New York Times this morning is picking sides, not diplomacy, uh, in the Gulf. But um, I found it a little unusual, not only because he jumped so fast taking sides, but also his hope, the whole purpose of his mission to the Middle East and his trip to the Middle East was to get this coalition of all the Arab countries together, right, and to support a a peace with between the the Israelis and the Palestinians. Sure, and also financing and a coalition to go after uh, extremists and, and terrorists in the region. That's right, yeah. Right. So now he leaves, and now this coalition is falling apart. Is falling apart, and rather than saying, hey, guys, come on. Let's get back together again for the things we all agree on. He's taking sides in in the middle of this basic, I wouldn't call it a civil war, but certainly a, a friendly, maybe not so friendly, spat between these 
I, I don't allies. know if one would ever accuse Trump of uh, soft diplomatic being one of his uh, major <laughs> strengths. <laughs> soft diplomacy. <laughs> you just wonder whether you know somebody has said, "Well, may, may, may Mr. President, before you jump in there, right? Let's kind of." Well, and I believe the comments you're referring to were made on Twitter, right? I mean, I, uh, I, I don't think anyone's reviewing those tweets before they're going out. <laughs> I think the, the the most telling thing about that that whole situation was when somebody asked a Republican senator, Bob Corker, about the stuff in Cutter, and he just looked at the reporter for a good solid 10 seconds because he hadn't seen it yet. He realizes what a sort of nuanced issue it is and that we just went in there with a sledgehammer, that Trump just went in there with a sledgehammer and just blew the whole thing up. Yeah. So, it's like, somewhat, yeah. He's just like, what is happening? It somewhat <laughs> reminds me of the way that uh, Boris, Boris Johnson, the, the foreign minister in the U.K., uh, responded after Trump tweeted about uh, the London mayor when he, when he took those comments a little mm-hmm. out of context uh, and tweeted about them. Someone went to Boris Johnson, asked for his response, and there was that similar kind of long huh? pause yeah. where he's weighing, you know, well, if I say something negative, <laughs> Trump's coming after me. Yeah. I don't know exactly what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that seems to be the way that, uh, that people That's have where we are to, now. Yeah. That's where we are in politics. Right. Is that terrifying? <laughs> it's a little terrifying. Okay. So my – so many questions. Let's come back to – this, let's assume this is a fake news put out there by Russian hackers. Who are these Russian hackers? Is is there one central like hacking agency? Is it as you know one kid in his in his briefs and his base, <laughs> or as Donald base. Trump would want us to believe, a four hundred pound man in his That's basement? Right. Yeah. That's right. That was that was uh, the, the phrase. <laughs> but seriously, do we know? Uh, so we do in some instances, or at least U.S. intelligence agencies believe that they know. Uh, in this Cutter instance specifically, my memory is that we have not pinned down necessarily the uh, Russian agency that may be behind it. But generally speaking, there are two uh, hacking uh, apparatuses within Russia. There's the military intelligence agency, the GRU, and then the FSB, which is kind of the uh, uh, successor to the KGB. It's their uh, their other intelligence agency. Um, And those are the two that tend to be behind a lot of the hacks we've seen. The GRU, for example, is accused of being the ones that uh, shuttled the information from the DNC and the Clinton campaign to WikiLeaks. Uh, The GRU is also the one that was described in this NSA document that was released earlier this week by Mm -hmm. The Intercept. We'll talk to you about that, too. Uh, That's right, yeah. Uh, So that was GRU. That's GRU. That's the military intelligence agency. And they seem to be uh, in the kind of the big cases we've seen in the election uh, they were yeah. the driving force, but the FSB is also involved. And and the FSB, were they the ones that did this foreign the cutter stuff? Do we know? Or we, we don't know as of now. What was the name of the something? Wasn't it Bear or something? In the, uh, Fancy Bear and Cozy Fancy, Bear. Yeah, yes, right. the two. Uh, yes. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> because you need some levity in all of this, right? <laughs> but uh, are they doing this with the... So, uh, but these are government agencies, right? So yeah, that's I guess right. my question answers itself. I was going to say, are they doing it with the support of the government? They are the government. They are the government. And so it are they doing it from... with the knowledge and support of the Kremlin? Absolutely. I mean, at least if we're to believe what the U.S. intelligence officials believe to be the case and that they concluded with high confidence, these directions are coming not just from the Kremlin broadly, but from senior officials within the Kremlin and probably Putin himself. 
Now, now uh, Putin says no. <laughs> that's right. Uh, as it, I think it's it's worth mentioning uh, Putin's artful dodging here, where he says, "Well, you know, if there are politically minded hackers that." choose to hack on behalf of Russia, I have nothing to do with that. They're patriots. They, they, are, they are just patriotically minded hackers. And while that is, in some sense, uh, it would appear to be obviously not the case in this instance, he's not wrong, broadly speaking. You know, from the, from the cyber experts I talk to, there are a lot of people operating in the kind of broader Russian, Eastern European uh, cyber criminal sphere that do hack on behalf of the Russian government, occasionally without directives from the Russian government. Uh, And they do it for a variety of reasons. One of them might be patriotism, but one of them might also be uh, that they receive cover from any criminal indictment. The Kremlin will look the other way to their criminal hacking if they know that they're also conducting hacks that operate uh, in the interest of the Russian government. Okay, but you have to choose your target, right? You can't just like hack every Seven Eleven, right? you know, or something. You got to choose. So this is where we could do the most damage. Uh, it's hard to believe that somebody just on his or her own would say, "Hmm, how about Cutter? Maybe we should, you know, <laughs> make them look bad." Right. right. I mean that that had to be directed by somebody for a very strategic purpose. Well, and let you agree? Yeah, and let's think about the the election hacks that we saw. They seem to involve a high degree of knowledge about how our election system works and how our election process works, and the a, a degree of knowledge that uh, some some lawmakers, some senators, uh, have even as a result raised the specter of American help because they look at these attacks and they say. My goodness, they know more about our own system than we do. Right. They must have had someone on the inside. Now, we don't have any evidence of that, but that's how detailed their level of knowledge appears to right. be. Right. Well, in fact, there are three investigations at least three, at least three. into whether or not that help that it looks like they needed and did get came from people in the Trump campaign. That's right. right? And I mean, that's, that's what this investigation of collusion yeah. is all about, that they needed maybe like a Paul Manafort or a Roger Stone or who knows who else, right? Yeah, and it, it's it's worth noting that right now there's there's a lot of smoke, there's no fire. Right. Uh, but uh, with the release of this NSA document this week, uh, it prompted Mark Warners, the top Democrat on the Intelligence Committee in the Senate, uh, he said that their hacking activity is much wider than has previously been publicly right, that, disclosed. That, and, and that is... Um, reflects this new document that was that was leaked out this yeah, week. Yeah, and even beyond that. I mean, he's, he's hinting at future revelations as well. Okay. What does this document tell us at the NSA, and how did we find out about it? So we found out because it was published in The Intercept. Uh, it seems that a government contractor working for the NSA uh, printed this document out, which was only produced on May 5th. This is a very new document. Oh. Um, this is stuff that appears the NSA is still discovering almost contemporaneously as they continue to investigate the election. Um, and what this so this document was mailed to the Intercept, uh, and they published it in a redacted form. And what we learned from it was the most kind of concrete to date example of Russian hackers going after our election systems. Now, remember, we, we've been very clear that there's no evidence of vote tampering, right? Right, yeah. But what this showed was that uh, a Russian hacking team 
launched a, a hack against a company that provides uh, voter registration software around the country, I believe in eight states, um, and used that information after hacking that organization to craft fake trick emails that they sent to 122 local election officials in the hopes that those local election officials would click on links that had malware on them, thus giving them access to these local election officials' computers. Um, we don't know if that so, end was successful. All right. If they were able to do that, could they change the vote tallies? Not immediately. There would be several more steps beyond that that they would still have to be successful at. But they're right in the heart of the of the election count. At Let's this say point. they're in the body. They're, yeah, they're they're moving to the heart. <laughs> they're in the they're in the body. Uh, you know, like I said, we don't know if they were able to God, successfully compromise scary. these officials. It, it is scary. Uh, but I think, you know, more important than whether or not they were successful is that they had a concerted team that's, who, who apparently yeah. their exclusive function was to pry and poke into that system specifically. Yeah. I think that should be the people's so, takeaway. Right. So they weren't up here at the 30,000-foot level just That's trying right. to influence the conversation. They're not mapping. Yeah. <laughs> right? No. They're right down into the belly of the beast. Here. Right. Wow. And um, so is there any doubt that Russia tried to influence the outcome of the 2016 election? Intelligence officials have repeatedly declined to make a political judgment. I don't mean that they were successful, but, but that they, they... They certainly, from everything we believe, from investigators, from what we're hearing, from what researchers are telling us, uh, I have not run across many people with doubt that they were trying to influence the conversation around the election and potentially infiltrate the election system itself. And ha didn't all 17 intelligence agencies agree on that point? That's right, yeah. And further, that their, 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 their goal was to help Donald Trump. They did, they, they, they did conclude that eventually that became the goal. While that potentially was not the goal initially, as the election went on, they decided to kind of shift towards helping him. That's right. All right. Who leaked this document? Do we know? Uh, it's believed. Now, uh, again, the NSA, or excuse me, the Intercept has not revealed their source, but all evidence would point to, uh, all available public evidence would point to reality winner, this woman that was arrested a over the weekend. That's a person's That's right. name. That's Actual right. person's she, name. She's a 25-year-old she's a contractor in, uh, in Georgia working for the NSA. Um, and we believe that she is the one, she is accused of being the one who leaked an intelligence document, and we believe that intelligence document to be the NSA document. And she has been arrested. Uh, she has been, and she told officials, uh, she admitted to officials that she sent an intelligence document to a media outlet. Now, she's in court today. She's going to request to be released pending her trial, and it's believed she will enter uh, a plea of not guilty um, so we might see another Espionage Act uh, trial unfolding here. Does Edward Snowden have a guest room in Moscow? <laughs> Can he just bring her in as a Airbnb, right? Can... <laughs> no, I mean, I think maybe we could have a little colony there of leakers, right? <laughs> he has yeah. called for her to be uh, released pending her trial. And Chelsea Manning could show up. And Chelsea have... Manning is out now. She's yeah, she's, out. Out. You know, she, she's so, out, out of jail. All right. Well, um, and the first leak but... case under Trump, I think that's notable. This one. This yeah. one is. Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. No, I think it that's is very notable. notable. And um, uh, 
sadly, I believe, I think uh, that they're going to they'll throw the book at her because just to, I mean, I mean, certainly rhetorically, Jeff Sessions has threatened to yeah. put people in jail. Trump has obviously regularly invaded uh, against this. Mm-hmm. I, it would not surprise me. All right, so when I hear all this talk about what the Russians have been up to successfully, and certainly, and have created so many problems and so many on so many different levels with this hacking. What are we doing about hacking? Well, I mean, not to stop it, but what? How much hacking are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> more than more than you and I know, but a lot would be the the short answer. Um, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, like we talked about this a lot during Barack Obama's presidency, right? right? Like we, he, he talked about cybersecurity being like one of the things that keeps him up at night. Yeah, and that. That's going to be the way that wars are waged. Is well, two two things that I think that, that yeah. were talked about as potentials. One was uh, with Iran and their centrifuges mm-hmm. at one time. Before, Stuxnet. That's what you're, yeah. I'm sorry. Stuxnet. Yeah. That's right. right. Yeah, Stuxnet. Right. Yeah. Before the Iran nuclear deal was struck that we actually went in and-, and Oh, excuse me. Of, oh, you're talking about a couple of years ago, right? No, I thought it was maybe longer ago, but, but that, that's right. That, yeah. Whatever you said was the word. <laughs> I can't, yeah. We're there. We're yeah. Right. Okay. That we went in basically and and got into inside, put worm inside their computer and and it, it, for their nuclear program basically derailed their nuclear yeah. program. Correct. For several years. Yeah. And we have admitted that. Have we? Uh, not publicly. No. Oh, it's okay. widely believed the government has never officially <clears throat> uh, conceded that they were behind it. All right. And are we the one who are fouling up the North Korean missile strikes? Certainly doing our best. Uh, it's, it, I, I'd caution about always drawing a direct line whenever one of their missiles flames out. But certainly there is a concerted effort to do just that. Right. Uh, are there other fronts that we suspect or know about the results of American hacking? We have <laughs> launched and stood up a very uh, robust digital war against ISIS. Um, and we've seen kind of dribs and drabs come out about this. But uh, essentially, they, they stood up this joint task force that was tasked exclusively with going after ISIS in cyberspace. And essentially, they're trying to disrupt the, the payment methods. Uh, they frequently use electronic uh, methods to transfer money. Um, they're trying to infiltrate the individuals that give orders and send out fake orders uh, to kind of spread misinformation and so distrust about any orders that they might be receiving from on high. Uh, And that is a campaign that is only increasing in speed and in robustness. But it did have some some trouble getting off the ground. We're still standing up uh, what's called U.S. Cyber Command. That's the the cyber Mm -hmm. unit within the Pentagon Uh, that will not reach its full uh, operational capacity until the end of the 2018 fiscal year. What are the most vulnerable targets in this country to, for hack, to hack? <laughs> I, I think the, the question would be what isn't a, a vulnerable target, uh, especially as we uh, all of our devices become connected to the Internet, uh, the Internet of Things, uh, as you call it. So you know, let's yeah. just go. Yeah. Ba- banking. Banking. Yeah, we've seen you know, J.P. Morgan get hit. We've seen. Uh, but, yeah. So, I mean, they could shut down the banks or, or just put It's possible. I, I wouldn't expect it tomorrow, right. but it's certainly possible. Transportation? Absolutely. Air, I, traffic, I would say that's, air traffic control? That's one that I would say is not only a target, but is lagging behind. In their, At least the banking system is very uh, cutting edge. Mm-hmm. The infrastructure, the air traffic control system is quite antiquated with their cyber defenses. Um, and the electric grid? 
I would say that's possible as well. Uh, we recently saw the first instance in Ukraine where hackers were successful in shutting down a large swath of the power grid. That was just uh, last year, I believe. Um, and it's believed that Russian hackers were behind that as well. Uh, and I see no reason why that could not be repeatable in the U.S. Um, obviously, it's a threat that they're very aware of, but I do think it's something that could be possible, and at least in, in small chunks. Maybe not like a, a – it would be very tough. We have a very diffuse power grid. It would be tough to do broad swaths, but in certain areas. Yeah, I remember that was like a first interview that Barack Obama gave you yeah. know, to John Harwood, who was then with CNBC. And he said, what keeps you up at night? And and Obama said, cybersecurity. And all of us in the briefing room went sort of like, huh? when we heard that, yeah. what? What's cybersecurity? And yeah. now, look. I mean, you just scared the hell out of us, dude. Right, uh, right, right. Well, thank you for coming in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and about yeah. Politico.com. is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. The White House calls it a nothing burger. Uh-uh. No, it's a nuclear burger that James Comey's about to drop just two hours from now uh, here in the Senate, in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. What do you say, everybody? On a Thursday, June 8th, the day we've been waiting for, it is the Bill Press Show. We are live from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill just down the street from uh, the Senate office building where... Uh, uh, James Comey will be testifying. We uh, already know what he's going to say. He released his testimony yesterday, and it is jaw-dropping in its methodical uh, outline of all of the conversations that Comey had with the president and the pressure that was put on him by the president to derail or to drop entirely the FBI investigation into possible collusion between his his campaign team uh, and Russian government officials. That's the focus of today. Good to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we couldn't get through this whole uh, complicated story. In fact, there's big news on both sides of the pond today, because while we're bracing for James Comey, the Brits are already lining up and voting. Niall Standage is here from the Hill, White House columnist. Hello, Niall. How are you? Good, Bill. How are you? Are you keeping track of both? It is a bit difficult. <laughs> Certainly not a slow news day by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> not indeed. Well, we got lots to cover. We'll jump right into it with all of you. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first... This is Get the up. Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. We go to the NBA. As you mentioned in the last hour, Game 3 of the NBA Finals were last night. 
Golden State Warriors versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. Cavaliers looked like they were going to make a, a serious contest. They were leading in the fourth quarter and then did not score a bucket for the final three minutes of the game, which meant Golden State took the lead. They won the game 118 to 113. That means they have a 3 2 0 series lead. No team has ever come back from a 3 to 0 deficit uh, in the NBA finals. All right. As a Californian, do it's okay if I have a big smile on my face? <laughs> it's totally fine to have a big smile on your face. Go Shit. Warriors. Just a reminder you can still watch hockey. It's more exciting. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Uh, this is a fascinating story, by the way. Russian mobsters are still a thing. In Manhattan, three dozen organized crime members were busted by federal authorities in Manhattan yesterday. Part of the reason is they were trafficking in five tons of stolen chocolate. What? Yes, no. this is actually a thing in New York. They were also selling illegal cigarettes. 32 men were arrested. Not only were part, part of them were tied up in a murder for hire conspiracy and illegal poker operation, but because they were trying to sell and unload five tons of stolen chocolate. Is this today, 2017? We still have Russian mobsters in New York. Black market chocolate. Yeah, right. It's the best kind. That's right. I know. Yeah, I'm telling best you, kind. right. This is like saying some people still have dial phones, that there's still Russian mobsters. Still Russian mobsters running New York. Who would have thought? I thought those days were coming gone. This is pretty interesting. Two Democratic senators, Robert Menendez and Catherine Cortez Masto, one from New Jersey, Robert Menendez, and uh, Cortez Masto from Nevada, has asked South by Southwest founder Roland Swenson to move the festival. The South Mm. by Southwest festival is a big, big deal for Austin, Texas. has been for a long time, but... They are referencing and saying that they have uh, they oppose SB four the immigration mm. the the uh, illegal immigrant bill that they have going on in Texas. They said that because it's such a bad bill that they want it moved out of Texas. They want South by Southwest out of Texas. That is interesting. I don't think that's going to happen. No. I don't think it's going to happen either, but it is. I mean, it sort of reminds me of the pressure on North Carolina. I was going to say. I mean, it worked. Really yeah. well in North Carolina in terms of uh, boycotting, but I don't know if it's going to work that well here in Texas, hmm. especially for that iconic Texas festival. Right, unless there's uh, more public pressure that builds up to have that happen. But. See what happens. All right, here with Niall Standish and all of you to talk about the big, big stories of the day. Quick break. We'll be right. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Right about uh, on Thursday, June 8th, hello everybody, The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital. And joining on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show on Free Speech TV. And you're looking good on WCPT out in the Chicago area. At this hour, just six blocks from here, they are lining up. To get seats in the in the hearing room of the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, and uh, all through the UK, they are lining up to vote. Uh, the big vote called by Theresa May about seven weeks ago or so, mid right? April, yeah, mid April. Right. And um, uh, Niall Stanage is here from the Hill to walk us through both. We've talked a lot about James Comey. We'll get back into that, but first, what's at stake uh, in the UK? And it doesn't seem to be necessarily going the way Theresa May 
thought it might, huh? That's certainly true. This was a snap election that was called in mid-April, well before the standard life of a parliament. Theresa May, the Conservative Prime Minister, called that election hoping that she would win a landslide. She was way up in the polls at the start. Uh, her polling lead has been eroded to a very substantial extent. It's about one third of what it was. Uh, now, the Conservatives are still leading, but it has cha- the picture yeah, has changed yeah. dramatically. Why? Why? I think there have been a couple of reasons. Theresa May has not proven a very effective political campaigner. Some of that has to do with the minutiae of British domestic policy, which we won't uh, get into. But also Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the opposition Labour Party, is the most uh, left-wing leader Labour has had in at least 30 years. And he had been the subject of a lot of very vicious coverage in the press. While that has continued during the campaign, the nature of election campaigning is that you can at least get your message through to voters in a clearer way. And I think that that has helped uh, Corbyn and Labour rise in the polls. What impact has the terrorist attack of last Sunday, Saturday had on the uh, on the polls. So this is a, a great question. It hasn't. The, the polling is sort of all over the place at the moment. There's a lot of volatility. In ordinary or normal circumstances, one would expect national security to help the Conservatives much as one right. generally yes. expects it to help Republicans here. There is a complication in that this Conservative government has put forth austerity measures that has led to a big drop in the overall number of police officers in uh-huh. England and Wales. Uh-huh. About 20,000 fewer police officers than there were in 2010. And so Labour is uh, using that to make the argument that the Conservative cuts have actually harmed national security. But isn't it also true that Theresa May, before becoming Prime Minister, was head of anti-terror, whatever the she, she post was? was right? She was Home Secretary, which doesn't have a direct analogue here, really. It's... it's um, uh, basically, uh, the police is one of the things. But she was in charge of, of law enforcement, yes. let's say. And yes. so uh, the law enforcement seems to have missed all the signals with these three guys that carried out these attacks. And indirectly, at least, they're saying, you know, she blew it. Right. Yeah. It's, they're saying your your policy, whatever it was, hasn't worked. Now, she if has, she loses, does mm-hmm. Brexit? Then happen or not happen, rather? So it's it, this is a complicated one. The, <laughs> so there are three major parties in, in Britain, Conservative, Labour, and Liberal Democrats. Liberal Democrats are the smallest of the three. They have uh, suggested there would be a whole other referendum with the option of staying in Europe. Yeah. Uh, Labour is sort of sitting on the fence a little bit more on Brexit. Is talking about a soft Brexit, changing the specifics of it. If the Conservatives win, then Brexit goes ahead. Right. Okay. Uh, while we're there on that side of the pond to see what happens, um, my parents have already voted. By the way, they have. <laughs> yes. All right. Very nice. good. Nice. Yes. Um, what is the standing of the London mayor after his little tussle with the president of the United States? I'd have to say I, I think the, it was a pretty one-sided victory there for the mayor. I think it was, and I think that has definitely bolstered his standing. Uh, the mayor, Sadiq Khan, is a member of the Labour Party, but that attack by President Trump caused a lot of people from across the political spectrum in Britain to rally to his defence. Uh, president Trump, uh, there was a poll done in, in March before all this happened where President 
Trump registered an 18% approval rating in Britain and I think a 60 or 70 disapproval. So he's not exactly in a strong position to be making these kind of charges. Uh, is he still going to be invited uh, for his official state visit in, when is it, June or, the, the, or this month or next month? I forget. The, there have been calls to uh, revoke that invitation. My own view is that I think that's likely to cause too much of a sort of diplomatic incident if it was really revoked. But, for example, the Liberal Democrats who we were just mentioning, mm-hmm. their leader has called uh, called on, on Monday to for that invitation to be uh, revoked. To uh, I think the mayor himself said it wouldn't, he didn't think we should be rolling out the red carpet for somebody who... Right, who has attacked the mayor at a time when, obviously, there was a very tragic and fatal event in, the, in, in London. Right. Um, so I want to... Uh, Shift here to uh, to uh, James Comey's testimony today, uh, and begin by reading a um, a, te- a tweet that I got. Not a tweet. I'm sorry. A text that I got uh, last night. Uh, a friend of mine sent me this from his uh, aunt who uh, re- watches regularly uh, in Oklahoma. All right. We'll uh, and she texted him. He forwarded it to me. Quote. Wish I could be at that watch party at the bar in the morning Let's do it. with Bill Press and his friends to watch the hearings. <laughs> well, Niall, we invite you to join us at the tune-in just down the street where we're going to be, we'll be there. to watch the Comey hearings. Uh, we have never seen anything like this, have we? No, we really haven't. Uh, I don't. I've covered American politics for about fourteen years, and I don't recall anything similar. I asked people of longer uh, standing. People mentioned things like Anita Hill's testimony during Clarence Thomas's the Army McCarthy hearings way way back. Right, yeah. right, exactly. But it's it really is. You have to go decades back to see anything remotely comparable to this. I think. All right, so. Um, what your, what's your take on why did James Comey release his testimony yesterday? A very unusual move. Yes, I assume it was uh, partly to, well, I think it was to dominate the news agenda whenever President Trump was clearly trying to counter-program him he to some of, extent. He kind of out-trumped Trump. He did, he? yeah, which is most unusual because Trump is... What everyone thinks of his policies, one of his skills is media manipulation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that has been undercut somewhat by Comey releasing the testimony right. early. Uh, and in this testimony, um, well, well, how, how do you sum it up in terms of what, what is the, what, what's, the, what are, what's the takeaway or the most important takeaways from, from that testimony? To me, it is the fact that uh, President Trump repeatedly pressured the head of the FBI, to lift the cloud, or whatever that exact phrase was. In other words, to give him a clean bill of health whenever the FBI director clearly was not in a position to do so. And furthermore, I mean, Trump clearly, and it would appear explicitly asked for the investigation into Michael Flynn to be stopped. Um, I, I mean, one can get into parsing in legal terms, what is obstruction of justice, but that certainly appears to be interfering with an investigation. It seems to me, um, I don't know whether you concur, that this is a real turning point in this whole investigation and that the shift, it has shifted already, I think, and certainly well today after this hearing, from 
not so much a question of was there collusion between the Trump team and Russia, but did the president of the United States attempt to obstruct justice? Was there, is there, does this amount uh, equal obstruction of justice? And if so, what are the consequences of that? Would you agree? I would agree totally. I think that's exactly right. And it was notable to me reading through Comey's testimony that he, you know, he does say at various times that Trump was not a target of uh, investigation in counterintelligence on at that at, time. At, at that time. Right. Now, the issue with the testimony is it, it shifts the focus, like you just said, from is there collusion between Donald Trump personally and Russia to did Donald Trump personally obstruct justice? I think that shift is really fundamental, and I think it's a very dangerous shift from the point of view of the president. Of the president, right. Because, uh, yeah, then the focus really is on him. Exactly. And exactly. he is the subject of the investigation because right. he's the one who was uh and uh if you believe Comey's testimony and his, the memoranda that he wrote afterwards is this that that that's exactly what the president was trying to do. Yes. He said he said in so many words, you know, can you stop this? Stop this. Yeah. yeah. This is interesting because I think the Democrats sort of uh, risks making the whole Russia thing their Benghazi, right? Like this Russia thing could go on forever and ever and ever and ever. But as with most things, it's not about the crime. It's about the cover-up. And so this pits directly Donald Trump, not the Trump administration, not Jared Kushner, not Michael Flynn or anybody like that, Donald Trump specifically going to the FBI and trying to it looks like maybe not cover it up. Cover it up might be too strong, but make it go away. Mm-hmm. And that is that is part of the cover up. That's the thing that could get him in serious trouble. And so this isn't about Russia and the collusion and all that, which we should still have that investigation and all that. But this is totally separate and totally easier to grasp, I think, for a lot of people. Yes, I think that's right. I think that in terms of Russia – We in the media have been talking for a long time about is there evidence, is there a smoking gun to tie either Donald Trump or someone close to him to to the Russians? Well, in this case, in in the the putative case for obstruction of justice, the the evidence is right there. It is in contemporaneous notes kept by the director of the FBI from conversations he has just had with the president or sometimes the president-elect of the United States. Yeah, I think there are three things that I think are so telling uh, about the pressure Comey was under. First one was that he felt compelled to make these notes immediately after every conversation mm-hmm. because he was so uncomfortable that that Trump was taking this relationship between a president and the FBI director where it should not be going. Uh, that in his very first meeting, which was January 6th at Trump Tower, not related to this investigation but related to some alleged tape that the Russians might have about some activities Donald Trump might have been engaged in, um, that he he left the the, uh, the meeting with the, uh, the president-elect, went to his car in front of Trump Tower, and immediately pulled out his laptop and started making notes of that. Com- and he did that for every conversation thereafter, which says a lot. 
it do, about it, how uncomfortable he was. It does, as does the fact that he had, <coughs> I, I think he mentioned nine. I was going to get to that next. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, right. he, he had nine conversations over four months, if I recall correctly from his testimony with, uh, with Donald Trump, having had uh, two, it seems, fairly brief meetings with President Obama over three years, I believe, right. both of which appear uh, rather innocuous and neither of which Comey felt the obligation to make notes of. Quoting uh, from the testimony page, the second page of James Comey's testimony today, quote, just reinforcing your point, I spoke alone with President Obama twice in person, never on the phone. Once in 2015 to discuss law enforcement policy issues and a second time briefly to say goodbye in late 2016. That was it. Four years. In neither of these circumstances did I memorialize or make notes about the discussions. He continues, I can recall nine one-on-one conversations with President Trump in four months, three in person and six on the phone. Very different picture. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's the, thir- the second thing. The third thing is that he was so uncomfortable that he went to Jeff Sessions and said, I never want to be alone with the president of the United States again. Yes. Whoa, does that speak volumes? Uh, as does the fact that, at least according to James Comey, Sessions did not respond in any fashion, did not reply, I believe, to mm-hmm. that request. Uh, James Comey's point there being that it is mm-hmm. inappropriate as he portrays it, for the Attorney General to be essentially told to leave so that the President can speak to the uh, Director of the FBI uh, one-on-one in secret. So um, it was the meeting in the Oval Office on February 14 uh, where the President um, uh, asked everybody else to leave. It's just Comey and Trump. Uh, And Trump says he is a good guy and he's been through a lot. Speaking about Michael Flynn, whom he fired the day before. Right. He's a good guy. He's been through a lot. I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. He's a good guy. I hope you can let this go. Now, that was February 14, according to James Comey. Let's go to May 18, the last news conference that Donald Trump had at the White House. You might have been there. It was in the East Room, and he was asked this direct question. Did you at any time urge former FBI Director James Comey in any way, shape, or form to close or to back down the investigation into Michael Flynn? And also, as you look no. back... No. Next question. Next question. <laughs> so somebody's lying. <laughs> you can't really reconcile those two accounts, can you? I mean, it's, Comey's clearly stating that it, yeah. President Trump asked him to back down the investigation at a minimum. Uh, no. Back. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Yeah, I mean, Comey makes a point that he didn't specifically say the entire investigation. But right. at that time, they were investigating, starting with Michael Flynn. Right, right. And so he definitely, definitely... Said and and the the way that reporter asked the question in any shape way or form mm-hmm. means including could it just be Michael Flynn? So I mean Trump's I'll say it. You don't have to say it. I I think he's clearly lying. It was on May 18 when he made that statement. But I'll come back to the so the White House is saying, oh Trump feels totally vindicated because Comey admits in his statement that 
um, on three occasions, he did reassure Donald Trump that he was not the subject of the investigation. So therefore, this is, they're calling it a nothing burger. This is nothing. In fact, Lindsey Graham even said, this is a good day for Donald Trump. <laughs> How can they reconcile that? Right? Yeah, yeah I, do, I don't think that's plausible or, or credible, to be honest. That is true. That... To, to reinforce your point, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess you're going to make it about, he, he did say that, but... Yeah, he did say that there was that it was a, a question of him not being under investigation at this time. <laughs> now, on the one hand, he did. I mean, there there were assurances given to Trump that at the time he was not under uh, investigation personally. But on one of the occasions when Trump urges Comey to lift the cloud or to make it clear that he was yeah. not under investigation, Comey says that one of the reasons he was reluctant to do so would be that it would create, if I recall the phrase correctly, a duty to correct where that to change at a subsequent point. Yeah, You are right on. In fact, page six of the testimony, um, I did not tell the president that the FBI and the Department of Justice had been reluctant to make public statements that we did not have an open case on President Trump for a number of reasons, most importantly because it would create a duty to correct should that change? In other so, words, if I say you aren't under investigation now, I'll have to say that you are when you are. And by the way, you might be soon. Right. And yeah. that will be yeah. not a great political day for you when the yeah. director of the FBI comes out and says, oh, by the way, I did say previously you weren't under investigation. The president isn't under investigation. No, yeah. he is. That Ask Hillary good. Clinton how that worked out it, for her. Exactly. That's not a, not I a actually good asked him yes. I said, <laughs> if it's possible, would you let me know? Am I under investigation? He said, you are not under investigation. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and, you know, again, Comey points out, and he will say it again today, he was really reluctant kind of to go there, to go there, but, you know, he finally just said, okay, yeah, but what he meant was not now. But who knows where this investigation could have gone, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and he didn't know, and they're starting with Flynn, and you never know. And, and it's, very, it's possible that Donald Trump, could be today or could could have been under that case. Sure. Uh, ended up himself under investigation. Well, and, and not to be facile about it, but the reason one has investigations is to yes, discover yes, things yes, that you don't right. actually know at the start. So, yeah. you know, that's that's the whole nature of the beast is that people who are not at one point under investigation can be at a later date. Uh, where does this go from here? Well, I think it's uh, uh, contrary to what Lindsey Graham might claim. I think it's a very bad day politically for President Trump. Of course, one of the things we're all going to be looking at is whether he's going to be uh, tweeting or commenting in other uh, ways on uh, what Comey says. staff has already made it clear that they're doing everything they can (laughs) to prevent that from happening. Distract him in some fashion. We've got a speech plan for him, but... um, Right. Not until after, it's about two hours into his testimony, I think. So I think that that will be uh, watched closely. In terms of the overall or the longer term outlook, obviously it depends a great deal on what Republicans in Congress do with this information. They have majorities in both the Senate and the House. So will we see more Republicans uh, breaking from the president in a really emphatic and explicit way? We'll have to see. That's a hard one to predict. Right. Uh, there's one other piece of this puzzle, um, which is that um, reportedly the president, before he fired uh, James Comey, um, asked the director of national intelligence and the director of the CIA 
for like basically saying, hey, I've tried to get Comey to drop this and he hasn't done it. Maybe could you call him and ask him to do it? So they were called to testify yesterday. Well, not Pompeo, but but Dan Coats was uh, together with Mike Rogers from the NSA uh, who decided almost to take the fifth. They just said they would not uh, talk about it. Uh, here's uh, Mark Warner, the ranking Democrat, Senate Intelligence Committee, asking the question, yes or no, did he ask you to do that or not? Did the president, the reports that are out there, ask you in any way, shape or form, to back off or downplay the Russia investigation? I'm not going to discuss the specifics of conversations with the president of the United States, but I stand by the comment I just made to you, sir. Yeah, he didn't deny it, but he won't confirm it either. Angus King gets a little testier with uh, the director. Why are you not answering these questions? Is there an invocation by the president of the United States of executive privilege? Is there or not? Not that I'm aware of. Then why are you not answering <laughs> because I feel questions? it is inappropriate, Senator. I, what you feel isn't relevant, Admiral. <laughs> He's a company man. That's why. <laughs> I, I love that. Right. Yeah. So they just de- – but, but they, you know, they didn't – they didn't get Donald Trump off the hook, I guess, is the point I'm making. No, they didn't. And I think the nature of their testimony really drew attention to the to the semantic kind of hairs they seem to be splitting in ways. They were yeah. relying upon these statements that uh, they hadn't fe- felt pressured or they hadn't been mm-hmm. directed to do certain things. But whenever uh, they were asked, had they been asked to do certain things, they refused to answer. So I think, you know, most people would 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 take uh, a certain interpretation from those remarks, meaning that they had been asked, but they didn't want to say so. so no, I don't know that for sure, of course, but that would seem an, a, a plausible interpretation of that, those actions. Uh, and I thought Adam Schiff yesterday afternoon, who's the ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, uh, sort of summed up the questions that certainly this whole thing answers maybe more questions than it than it answers, but it certainly raises questions about the connection between what Donald Trump was. I think it's pretty clear the connection between what the president was doing uh, and what happened to James Comey. Here's uh, Congressman Schiff. The president demanded his loyalty, didn't get it. The president asked him to drop the Flynn case and he didn't do it. Is this why Jim Comey was fired? That's the key question, of course, because in Comey's testimony, one senses an escalation of the pressure in these various encounters with Trump to drop the investigation, to give uh, Trump himself a a clean bill of health, including, I think it was the very last conversation mentioned, where Trump says, I have been very loyal to you. Oh, yes. To to Comey. We had that thing, and Mm -hmm. it's not clear what he means by that thing. But the implication, at least, is Trump saying to Comey, I have backed you up in some way. It's about time you did the same. Right. Oh, no. Very clear, I think, Mm -hmm. that with Trump, that you – right. I've been loyal to you. Now you owe me, and what you owe me is to drop this investigation. That's why I kept calling him, calling Mm -hmm. him. you know, there's, I guess one of the morals of the story is there's a reason why presidents have been very reluctant to fire FBI directors. <laughs> there seems very, to be a downside to it. There are very, very famous stories of uh, Jack Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy with J. Edgar Hoover, LBJ with J. Edgar Hoover, and Hoover 
They they wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to go after him. They never dared do it. And there are all kinds of rumors because he had stuff on them, right? He had photographs. He had videotape if they had it at the time, whatever. But they never – they didn't touch him. No. And, and uh, now you know why. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> which, which gets to the question, so who was the genius – who suggested to Donald Trump that he fire James Comey? That that oh, you want to get rid of the FBI investigation? Well, yeah. just fire Comey. That'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Not one of the uh, more prudent political uh, courses of action that we've seen for sure. Now, whether anyone, did, I, I think that some people did suggest to him that he would there would be t- there would be a downside to doing it, and he seems to have gone ahead. Uh, I anyway. think the answer is it was Trump himself. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine. We didn't think it through. Now, Stanley stays with us here. Um, for, as a friend of Bill for the entire hour, we're going to be joined by Paul Singer, our neighbor on Capitol Hill and Washington correspondent for USA Today coming up. Get off the stage, fellas. That's it. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On a Thursday, June 8th, yep, the big day, the day we've been waiting for, a day that James Comey steps up in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee, but we already know what he's going to say. It's The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., just about six blocks away from that Senate office building. With all, we're coming to you with all the news of the day, and we're brought to you today by the Laborers International Union of North America under President Terry O'Sullivan, men and women of the Laborers Union, building a better America. That's their website. Check it out. Liuna, L-I-U-N-A, buildsamerica.org. Well, we want to do a play a little CNN this morning and have a big panel. Such breaking news we need. As many people as we can squeeze can we, can we on the set. little box? On the the set. Exactly. Right. I'll play the Jeffrey Lord character. <laughs> yeah, you'd look like him. All right. Then we have... Got <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyhow, Jeffrey Lord, uh, 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 a.k.a. Peter Ogbert here. Now Stan is still with us as a friend of Bill from The Hill and joined by Paul Singer, Washington correspondent. For the USA to, for USA Today, and the reason we're here, of course, because this is Infrastructure Week, uh, exactly. and uh, that's the message of the White House. Important that we want to devote uh, this last half hour to uh, infrastructure. Uh, how are we doing, Paul? <laughs> well, they're 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 putting the new top on the church next to our house down the block here. So they are, uh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. my infrastructure update of the day. New, ste- right. new steeple is going up uh, on the church next door, uh, and that's all we need to know about okay, infrastructure for today. Um, Donald Trump may be a double dose of bad news today. We want to talk about the Comey testimony. We can get back into that. But uh, you probably saw Quinnipiac yesterday out with its latest poll on presidential approval. Donald Trump's approval rating has sunk to 34 percent, 57 percent disapprove. Uh, maybe more telling and related to today what we're going to today's um, hearing in the Washington Post ABC poll. Fifty-six percent of Americans say, yes, Donald Trump is interfering with the Russian investigation. This is before Comey speaks. Sixty-one percent say he fired James Comey in order to cover his own ass. 
fake uh, news. Himself. That is that is fake news. Is what that is. <laughs> Look, you know, Donald Trump has been playing from the first day of his presidency to his base constituency. That is all he seems to care about. It is all he seems to address. He's not trying to operate a government. He is running what amounts to a continuing, ongoing campaign. So I don't think these numbers mean much to him. I don't think he cares. The polls, he has said over and over again, the polls were wrong, um, which is half true. Uh, the yeah. national polls were about right on the public on the uh, uh, overall popular vote. The state polls were mostly wrong on which ones he win. Um, so he doesn't care about the polls. He can always say it's fake news. And the fact of the matter is, is Donald Trump continues to play to his base and every interview we have done, I'm assuming you guys at the Hill have seen the same, uh, his base voters, who are still only about 38%, right, uh, think he's doing fine. He's doing do they ever crack, do. Niall? I, I don't think that they crack in the sense of the really hardcore uh, group of Trump supporters, but people have made the, the point that the proportion of people who strongly approve of President Trump's support has actually fallen quite sharply. So the assumption is that, yes, there is a Trump base, maybe a quarter of the population, right. that will just be with him no matter what. Right. But that doesn't mean that his support is completely impervious, mm -hmm. and it can certainly drop and appears to be dropping, because which is why we're seeing figures like Some this. of those people who voted for him, right, were people who just didn't like Hillary. Right. Right. They weren't crazy about Trump, but they didn't like Hillary so much that they said, oh, we'll give Trump a chance. Mm -hmm. And he's already kind of kind of blown <laughs> that that chance, right? Yeah, he has. And I think, you know, one of the things that helped him in the election was this <laughs> idea that he was a quote-unquote change candidate. Now, what beneficial change those people, particularly in Rust Belt states who voted for him, are seeing is not particularly clear to me. I don't think it's particularly clear to some of them right. either. And so I think that's why we're seeing some of this erosion of support. And, and that's where you'll see, you know, come the 2018 election cycle, uh, do those people go back to the polls feeling they've gotten something from their Republican leadership or from their Republican member of Congress? Right. Do they feel the economy coming back? Do they feel their jobs improving? You know, that's when you really start to see that this stuff matters. Um, and, and we'll see. I mean, mm -hmm. we just we just don't know much other than, you know, people are telling the ABC News Washington Post yeah. poll that they're unhappy. All right. Well, everyone's unhappy. Okay. So, Paul, um, everybody in Washington has read the magic seven pages. Mm -hmm. uh, kept uh, it short. Right. What's your take overall? Well, the overall, uh, my take overall, it is an extraordinary document uh, suggesting, not suggesting, saying flat out that the President of the United States on multiple occasions uh, uh, reached out to the director of the FBI uh, to say, tell me more about the investigation of me and my people. Can we tamp this story down in some way? Can you cut my friend Mike Flynn some slack? None of that appears to be in dispute. Um, uh it 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 calls out for the tapes. Like I read this document and say, yeah. I want the tapes. <laughs> really, because because Donald Trump tweeted at one point, you know, Comey should be careful what he says because I might have tapes. Well, now reading this, I assume hearing uh, uh, Mr. Comey today uh, enlarge upon some of this conversation, you really 
it, it, it wants the tapes. I want to hear the audio. I want to hear, did President Trump actually hint? Did he more than hint? Did he lean more strongly? Did he elbow? You know, that's the stuff I want. And some of this happened in the Oval Office. Maybe there's a tape. Now, I also then want to hear someone have to admit that there is no tape and that Trump was bluffing. But still, you really want to get to the bottom of what did Trump ask? What was he really asking? Was it so just at this you know, point without the tapes? Yeah, it is Comey versus Trump, isn't it? As to which one is more credible, Niall? It is. Um, now he said, she said. Yes, of. though James Comey has the advantage of conte- contemporaneous notes being made of these encounters which he did on most, if not all, occasions. Will he give the notes uh, to the committee? Uh, I'm not sure of the answer to that, actually. I don't know. The FBI has them. I think they've been asked. They've been requested. Several committees have asked for them. Yeah. 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 So if he shared those at the time with senior people in the FBI, as I believe he did, did. then that bolsters his case considerably. Now, so what he said, and he has notes to back it up, and people saw the notes, versus Trump said, and there isn't really anything, as far as we know, to bolster the president's account of what happened. Uh, and, and nobody has denied any of this. Like right. the, That's the, right. The White House yeah. and Republican yeah. position has been <laughs> this document confirms the president's uh, assertion that he is not under investigation, which, of course, was never the question in the first place. Um, uh, so the, nobody at the White House has said that James Comey is lying. Right. Yeah, they have not. That's right. They haven't denied any of it. They've not have not denied any of it. Um, pardon me, except for one person. Uh, back to let's hear it again, Jamie. Back to May eighteen uh, news conference, East Room of the White House. Did you at any time urge former FBI Director James Comey in any way, shape, or form to close or to back down the investigation into Michael Flynn? And also, as you look no. back, no. Next question. Next, next question. question. Are you lying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it seems like the next question, right? But uh, I, I, we were saying earlier, the reporter, I, I don't know who that is, but says in, in any way, shape, or form. So it was pretty broad there, right? right? And clearly he did in one way, shape, or form say, can you let this thing go? Yeah. And, well, yes. And, <laughs> thank you. Exactly. Uh, you know, the, the – the details as we get further into this, and part of this is going to depend on what comes out in this hearing. There, there was one other thing that I don't particularly want to get deeply into for a bunch of reasons, but um, it is worth mentioning that this document is the first official statement from anybody on the record involving the term hookers in Russia. Okay. It is the first document, the first statement I've I seen was anywhere. stunned to see that in the in the testimony. And frankly. and I would like to leave it there. The question is, does anyone on the committee then say Tell us about the hookers? Tell us about the salacious allegations which none of us have given any credibility to, um, that the President of the United States asked you about directly. Um, you, you raise that. I'm not sure uh, everybody, those of us around the table do know, but maybe not all of our listeners and viewers, Niall. So how did this come up? So this is in relation – the very first meeting that Comey details with Trump is a briefing when Trump was present. January 6th in, Trump, in Tower. Trump Tower. He was sent there by the intelligence community. Somebody's got to tell Trump 
what we're hearing. Which was that there was a dossier circulating. It was shortly going to be published in the media. It included a number of uh, salacious and damaging allegations. Do, do I don't know. What's your editorial position on this, Bill? Do we want to say what was alleged? Or uh, well, water I, sports. Wait, water no, wait. sports. But I think, right. I think what we can say here is that none Hooker. of that has Hooker. been... Th- there was a bunch of sexual yeah. activity mm. alleged, mm. none of which has ever been confirmed. Right. Yeah. When he was and, a and, businessman operating in Moscow on some hotel deal. Right. Or right. Yes. And, and none of it's been confirmed. And, 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 and we've all been very, very cautious about using this, this information yeah. because, again, yeah. no one's ever been able to confirm any of it. And no one's ever been on the record with it until yesterday. And it was a British former intelligence person who put this dossier together, correct? That is correct, yes. And he seems to be reasonably well uh, respected. But as Paul rightly notes, there have been many efforts to stand up these allegations and they haven't. uh, So it it does raise a question. Why does Comey begin his testimony by talking about by, by talking talking about that? Uh, this was a meeting with the president-elect. The first meeting had nothing to do with the Russian investigation, well, nothing I... to do with Trump's. There was no suggestion there that he shut down the investigation because no investigation had begun by that point. Th- that's right. So why does he talk about it? Well, I actually think it's not so much to get the details or the element of that dossier into the public record. I actually think it's because Comey is already concerned enough about his dealings with Trump to make notes immediately after he leaves Trump Tower, which he says, uh, as we were saying earlier, uh, Bill, he didn't feel that need in his couple of conversations with then-President Obama, but immediately with Trump on January 6th in Trump Tower, he begins writing a memo on his laptop immediately having left the building. So the first time he meets him, he feels uncomfortable enough that something is weird, that I'm going to make a record of this because who knows? Right, and 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 but, what, what you end up with is this this conversation that he's he's supposed to be having this conversation with the president, saying, "We want you to recognize and know that people are making these allegations, and the and the base of the allegations is that the Russians might have some compromise on you, or are trying to let or trying to tell people they do have some compromise." So, are you suggesting that this now may become part of this investigation, or that this may uh, well, this 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 may generate? Some more in, in maybe investigative reporting into these allegations. I think it might. I mean, I think what I, I think <laughs> the worst possible scenario for all of us um, is that this comes up in this hearing. Some, I would guess, Democrat raises this portion of the uh, issue with Comey. Could you tell us more about the water sports or something? <laughs> Can you tell us something else about what this – I mean, you use the term in your opening statement. Hookers. Hookers in Russia. Um, (laughs) Tell us more about what that means. It it is telling that he made sure that that made it into this testimony. Yes. Yeah. It had to be intentional. It had to be intentional. Stop that, please. It had to be. It had. To, that's that's what's so stunning to me and caught my eye about that is that there was no. It was it was almost a gratuitous reference in this document. There was no reason for Mr. Comey to include that other than he would like to say more about it, and that I find alarming. My goodness, man, this just got a whole lot more interesting. No, the, the movie rights. Yeah, right. It's only for the movie rights. Yowza. Uh, I'm just. <laughs> Uh, I'm just looking for exactly the, the exact wording in here uh, in his uh, 
uh, it's mm-hmm. down there. So I don't remember what page it was on, but yeah. it was, you know, the president was saying, can you tamp down some of these uh, allegations? Help me tamp down these allegations. Um, it was toward the end of Comey's I, testimony, I know. if I recall. He, he, I, yeah, mm-hmm. that where he uses the uh, the hookers, right, right. You know, if you were on digital yeah. there, Bill. He said he had, <laughs> uh, in March March 30, phone call. So this wasn't a January 6th where he, in, in his testimony, right. in, in talking about the January 6th meeting, it's right. when he talks about a subsequent phone call, March 30. Um, he said he had nothing to do with Russia, had not been involved with hookers in Russia, uh, had always assumed he was being recorded when he was in Russia. So, so. It, I, yeah, but but again, Comey puts uh, that into his statement to suggest that this was a front of mind issue for the president. Right, uh, and as we have said earlier, and this, uh, that, and this is uh, certainly in my, uh, James Comey's mind when he was talking to responding to Donald Trump's uh, pleas to shut down the investigation. Once you start an investigation, you don't know where it's going to go. Right. Uh, this proves it, maybe, <laughs> your point. And Comey certainly at the time, while he would admit that the president was not under investigation at that personally at that particular time, he couldn't say you'll never be because, again, he doesn't know where the investigation is going to go. Maybe it'll go uh, toward the hookers. But I want to ask you this. So James, uh, Jeff Tubin, who I think is one of the best minds, legal minds in the country. Is he under investigation uh, by the FBI? No, he's there? not. Okay. <laughs> CNN's Jeff Tubin and also the New Yorker magazine, he said yesterday on the air, quote, Comey's statement establishes obstruction of justice by Trump, period. Do you agree, gentlemen? I am not as good a legal mind as Jeffrey Tubin. Me neither. I, I think that it would seem on its face or to, to the layperson, it seems like he's clearly interfering with an investigation and most people would see that. Now, as I understand statutes about obstruction of justice, you need to prove a particular intent. Um, you know, clearly the president will have very... Uh, estimable lawyers arguing that he it does not amount to that but on its face and as a political matter I think many many people will see it that way. Isn't that what tripped up Nixon even though he resigned before he was impeached? Yes. Hmm? Yeah it was right. obstruction but in fact part of what it, what uh, tripped up Nixon also was trying to use the CIA to uh, head off an FBI investigation um, which was <laughs> which was yesterday's conversation um, or not conversation but hey look uh, at it. I mean, yeah. but, but again I, I think you know, Niall's right. The intent is is a major factor here, and so what do you? It, well, it, right. to, to some degree, Donald Trump's um, uh, uh, naivete about the way government actually operates might be helpful to him in this case, because he can, I think, fairly right. say that he never really intended to obstruct justice because he never really understood how this process works. That may only get you so far, officer. I didn't know the law. Right? It, it, well, it was notable that Chris Christie gave an interview yesterday uh, in which he, he said, oh, I just thought that that's a kind of typical New York City conversation. Exactly. Yeah. You know, exactly. You know uh, that first of all, having dished Chris Christie, dumped on Chris Christie, not given him a job, not had him around. He was even in charge of his transition until he fired him from that hasn't used him at all, that he trots out Chris Christie yesterday as one of his defenders. It shows, I think, how uh, how um, <clears throat> short of, uh, of defenders the White House has been. So here's Chris Christie yesterday with uh, Nicole Wallace on MSNBC. You know, I think over the course of time, and you could, we could talk about different examples, mm-hmm. what you're seeing is a president who is now very publicly learning about the way people react to what he considers to be 
normal New York City conversation. Yeah. Could you let my buddy Paulie Walnuts go? I mean, you know, it wasn't much of a thing. You know, just uh, you can drop that thing, couldn't you? Normal New York normal conversation. New York conversation. I have it all the time with my New York relatives. I can't wait for the headline, uh, Trump to Comey. Vafangoo! Yeah, like, hey, hey, back off. Back off. Forget Stop about it. I, I mean, there's a, there's an oddity to the to the whole. You know, remember this is the New York Values campaign, right? You know, like, you know right. Right, the New York Values. So, well, but on this, what do we all mean by obstruction of justice? To me, uh, it's as simple as there is an ongoing criminal investigation. You or your people are the subject of the investigation, and you attempt to shut that investigation down. Isn't that Doesn't obstruction matter. of justice? Doesn't matter what you think. I mean, uh, and I, <laughs> I, I mean that in the nicest possible way. Um, uh, what matters is whether there is uh, even a small minority of Republicans in the House representatives, of course, who, who yes. will acknowledge, who will right. see this as breaking that legal threshold at which the president right. has lost right. his ability to govern, and are willing to pursue uh, an impeachment charge against him on that basis. That is an extraordinarily high bar, and and rightly should be an extraordinarily high bar um, in our you know, demonically partisan environment here in Washington. It is hard to know how you get to that bar. Uh, I think, you know, we have always talked about needing a uh, live boy or a dead girl. Um, and, and I still think... Thank you, Edwin, Edwin, Edwin Edwards. Yeah, exactly. The old Eddie Edwards defense. Um, and, I, and, and I do not see, honestly, that this testimony yet has gotten to that status where the Republicans in Congress are going to say... This is a live boy. It gets to that point only, perhaps, when Republicans in Congress realize that he is jeopardizing their future, right? Yes, exactly. It gets to that point whenever they decide that it is more politically damaging for them to have President Trump in office and therefore tied closely to them than not. Now, that's still a very high bar, but the point is that at the moment, I think a calculation for, say, an average Republican House member yep. is that on pure political, politically expedient grounds, it does not make sense for them to pursue his impeachment. If that changes, then we're in a whole new ball game. And, and, and I think advocates of impeachment have to recognize just how painful and unpleasant it's going to be for the country if we ever get there. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and, and I'm not saying I'm not trying to defend uh, President right, Trump. Yeah. I'm not trying to, to say I have a position on, on any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But but the fact of the matter is, if we ever get there, it is going to be brutal. It is going to be an incredibly painful divide for this country, just like it was 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we have to not take lightly uh, what that what is at stake in such a thing? And the hardcore of Trump supporters who we mentioned earlier will undoubtedly see it as a de facto coup against an elected president. Will that to happen? Mm -hmm. Well, back to the Chris Christie thing. I mean, jokingly said that that when they had to resort to a Chris Christie. But who are Trump's defenders today? I mean, who's out there really championing? You know, Mitch McConnell just kind of tries to run away of as fast as he can. Even Paul Ryan yesterday said it was inappropriate for him. To put any to try to shut down an investigation, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, well, but you'll see the senators today on the committee saying stuff like, "A, 
Um, if you thought this was a big deal, why didn't you uh, make it public before? Or why weren't you a whistleblower? Why didn't you warn somebody? And B, or, you will see them say, well, and you've seen a lot of this already, this validates Trump's claim that he was not under investigation, which is true. It does validate that claim that he was not under investigation. So but, so those are two lines mm-hmm. that I think Republicans can very comfortably Pretty take. weak, I think. Pretty meaningless, too. Uh, and uh, <laughs> but it, it, uh, it also proves that Trump was lying when he said he didn't try in any way to shut, to, to, to shut the thing down. Does it – the other defense I've heard is, well, of course, everybody expects loyalty from their staff. So what's wrong with asking, making sure that people are loyal to you? When it comes to a director of the FBI, it's maybe a little different. Yeah, it's a little different. And, and <laughs> But it is also true that there is a sort of odd relationship between the presidents and the FBI directors because to some degree you, you, know, you work for the president. But it's a mm-hmm. – isn't it a – Ten-year term, It's odd in the sense that it's like miles apart. I mean, yeah. right, most presidents just recognize the FBI director. Technically, yeah, he works for me, but hands off. Yeah, because right? it's designed to be independent for just this reason, right? That's the whole idea. Um, so right. it's – if nothing else, the whole conversation is a little creepy. And and I think we all agree. In fact, even uh, uh, Chris Christie on his television appearances is agreeing that – this is not the sort of thing you should do. Right. All right. So um, Peter and I are going to tune in right down the street here. Um, we'll be there for the entire broadcast. What are you? How are you guys going to celebrate? Uh, uh, You're going to join I, us I, at the tune in. I, sadly, not much as I would like to, Bill. I am going to be, I, I believe, in our in our office watching it as avidly as anyone else. We have uh, reporters in the room. I'll be writing a column about it once we hear what he actually says, and that's how I'll be spending my time. And you, Mr. Singer? Uh, I'm going to an infrastructure hearing. Uh, <laughs> we're going to take wire on the Comey testimony and just yeah. let the AP yeah. fill it in for us. Well, I have one final thing to say to you, which is what Donald Trump yesterday said to the uh, families that joined him on stage uh, in Ohio, the alleged victims of Obamacare. They were very nice enough to come there, stand with the president, tell their stories, and then he very, very uh, j- graciously said goodbye to them. Get off the stage, fellas. That's it. <laughs> Uh, that's my word to you. Get off the stage, fellas. All right, Paul Singer, thanks for coming in. Thanks, thanks for having me. Have a good, folks. Have a good day, folks. Watch James Comey. This is the Bill Press Show.